Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time I put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. The seven Bs. Napoleon had three, you know. Did he? Yeah, we've got seven. Right. Yeah. Is that was that a was that a it was a height thing, was it? He, he wasn't very tall, was he? No, I think he had three Bs on his... That was like his family crest, the three Bs. That was a Napoleon Bonaparte thing. He had three so, Bs on his family crest. I'm going to have to Google this now. We're going to have to yeah. keep all this in. I don't know how this is going to start. I could have made this up. So technically, how many did we say? The seven Bs. It's the seven Bs. Is seven Bs. Two and a quarter Napoleons or something. Right. Two and a third Napoleons. The Napoleon crest. <laughs> we say, was it a crest? Well, a coat of arms, possibly. I don't know what the French call that. Right. Le manche du <laughs> jacket. <laughs> La manche. <laughs> La manche is the sleeve. I know that. That's not right. the same as an arm, is it? No. Right. <laughs> now you've really lost me. Don't worry. They call the English channel La Manche. It means they do. the sleeve. Oh, is that what it means? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you see. Every day's ah. a school day. Ah. I think I need to do more. I'm on Napoleon.org. Right. Uh, the history website of the Foundation Napoleon, but this is going to take a lot of research. So you just tossing into conversation. Napoleon had three Bs on his crest or on his badge or whatever it yes. was on his, you know. As now, that's a rabbit hole. In of I itself, do have that. I do have John Le Carre to thank for that because he wrote a book called The Constant Gardener, right? Um, and the there was something about the three Bs in that. I think it was the pharmaceutical company that the some dodgy pharmaceutical company that was um using uh poor african folk for um experimentation um and i think that's where where it goes with the constant gardener and i think they were called the three b's and i think it points out in there that there was napoleon bonaparte so crest or logo he had the three p's on right. you know as in bzz, bzz, as yes. in yeah as in the um the wheeled suitcase along the travelator bees right rather yes. than right. the b for buttery bastard right well we'll just just hold that thought for one second just <laughs> to kick off proceedings properly hell of so, a thought to hold but i'll try uh, hold it hold it yes, hold it just yes. hold it take a breath right hello and welcome to <laughs> chapter 152 of the Corona Diaries. Uh, right, so back to bees then. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, and this is unusual. We never get into this this quick. But you've brought, backstory here, you've brought your proper microphone, haven't you? 
I'm which pointing you're point, it out pointing to, which doesn't, doesn't work on a podcast, but yeah, beautifully <laughs> done. Uh, I'm loving your work. Um, which is an SM7B. And I said, oh, they're a bit special, these 7Bs, aren't they? Right. And I thought immediately of, I don't know, a football team or, um, or yes, or the... Um, or the, br- the three R's, brilliant reading, writing, and arithmetic. That yes, thing. I just thought of seven B's in a row, like brilliant, buggery, buttery, bastard, bamboo, Birmingham. That's six. <laughs> Where'd you go after Birmingham? Brilliant, buggery, boom, boom, buttery. Bastard We've got Birmingham. old Basil Brush now. There we go. Basil Brush. <laughs> we forgot him. Yeah, yeah we have Basil Brush in. <laughs> right. Okay, so try, try it again then because I'm liking this. I'm liking where we're heading up here. Brilliant, buttery, Basil Brush, bastard. Boom, boom. Bastard. Boom, boom. There we right. go. That's all the seven. seven Bs. Those seven Bs. Those seven Bs. Um, in the meantime, I will do some research about the three Bs on yes. Napoleon's crest. Bugger Basil Brush. That's the three Bs. Yes. Well, technically, that that's what they <laughs> that, used to that do. That was isn't constant, it? yes, Basil. Yes, that was. It was in a constant state of buggery. <laughs> that was all he had to look forward to in the morning, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Bless him. Yeah. No wonder he kept throwing his head from side to side. <laughs> In discomfort, <laughs> we can't do this. this. Is a kids' show. We can't. We can't allow that kind of. No. Well, it was the seventies. Yeah, and let's face it, Emu didn't have it much better, did he? No, no, he didn't. That was the whole arm. Well, I was never sure which one was the puppet with those. <laughs> who was working? Who? Right, right. And um, hello, you're you're hello. the reason. Hello. The reason why you mentioned that you're taking all the gubbins with you is because you're in Denmark, aren't you? Hi, hi. As they say in Denmark, mm. I think hi, hi. I think that's when they're leaving. Whether they say it when they're arriving as well, I don't know. Hi, hi. I think they do. I think they say it when they're arriving right. as well. Right. Uh, I would show off with some Danish if I'd got any at this point, but I, just, I can't start. I know. No. I can say tow it, which means train. That's about all I've got. Right. Oh, Have you ever and, caught a train in Denmark? Yeah, uh, in Fearpool. Oh. I've got a feather on. I can say that. <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> where, where did that phrase, <laughs> in what situation did that phrase come around? Yeah, well, uh, in Fearpool. Yes. It's what they say if they're a little bit tiddly and they've had a few drinks. They say, I have a feather on. Oh, that's brilliant. I don't know oh, why. Oh, that is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that's got to be loved. So it was my first, it was the first Danish phrase I ever learned, and, and as it turned out, the last. But mm. I, I am committed to learning another one. One more? No, the whole language. I've said right. I will, but I've been very, very tardy. Right, you're doing it in baby steps? Yes. Right, okay. <laughs> that, that, as an expression of being a little bit tipsy, is fantastic. Yeah, I have a feather on. They also have one, I've got a stick in my ear. That also means I'm a bit tipsy. So they have several different surreal statements for being slightly drunk. Right. 
Now, you see, that one wouldn't work as well for my son because when he was in uh, reception at junior school, somebody in infant school, somebody put a stick in his ear. So he's Ooh. still slightly traumatised by that. Ooh, so that's nasty. That's, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe we'll go with a feather one. A feather one. Yeah, I like that. My other favourite is, have you ever spent any time in the northeast? Of what? Of, of the UK. Oh, Newcastle, of the UK. neck of the woods. Um, well, I've popped in. you popped in. Yeah. you passed through, haven't you? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, because we, we lived there for three years, and mm. they always say mortal, don't they, when they're pissed? Oh, I was mortal. <laughs> mortal. Oh, last night I was so, I was mortal last night. Oh, that's that which just, I like. That's a kind of Geordie inference of being immortal the rest of the time. I guess. I, I guess it must be. Mm, you're just mortal I guess it must when be. you're drunk. Mortal. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Hello. Um, hello. So, so you're in the cabin, aren't you? I'm in the. Uh, what what do we call it? The annex. The annex. We've got an atrium as well here, but I'm not in it. I'm in the annex, Anthony. Is that glassier? It is. It's more like a greenhouse with a bit missing. Right. What bit? One wall. Right, okay. (laughs) Right. So it's kind of attached then. I I don't know if that's the dictionary definition of atrium, (laughs) atrium or atrium. Atrium, atrium, atrium. I'm sure we'll have a lot of letters. Well, email. you say atrium, I say atrium. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, do you remember a- Gene atrium. Hunt from Life on Mars? Did you watch Life on Mars? No, I I, I read good things about it, but I never right. got got onto it. Right, because that was a seventies sort of. Cop it was, thing, wasn't it? It was, and Gene Hunt was that archetypal seventies copper, <laughs> that bad boy copper. Right, uh, and he had a Twitter account for a while. Uh, and and one he posted one day, um, I say I say potato, you say it wrong, which I thought was a nice little take on it all. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, anyway. well, I say I'd say I, I actually say atrium and atrium because I don't know which is right, so I alternate every time I mutter the word atrium, I say atrium. In the hope that somebody will provide you clarity. Yeah, or, or just not wishing to appear totally stupid so that they'll think right. one of them was a little mistake. I've what? always said atrium. A spasm. I think I think I should say atrium then. I'm intimidated mm. by your atrium now and, and <laughs> I feel I feel a bit There's an episode title. I feel, I feel a bit ashamed of my atrium. <laughs> your atrium's a little which, bit which is another episode title. Yeah. <laughs> Your atrium looks a little bit limp by comparison. Uh, I'm thoroughly ashamed of it, Anthony. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I, I'm I'm with you all the way now on atrium. On atrium, mm. right? Going okay. forward, um, I've been reading the diary. Oh, well, you're ahead of me today. Then. Um, I've been reading the diary, um, and I've got a sneaking suspicion that the diary that bit that we're going to get to is the whole of the saga tour. Oh uh, yeah, mm. um, and I've got lots of questions about that. Blimey, right? Um, well, not lots, but you know, <coughs> enough, enough to get us. I mean, how many questions do we need for an episode? Well, well I, about one, one. Yeah, month. I never answer them anyway. No, but no. you can try. I can try. I'm going to mm. give it a stab. Um. So, um, is this the follow-on to the Deep Purple? Is this the same? 
Is arranger, that... organiser, yeah. promoter is the word I'm looking for. Well, that is a good question, and I honestly can't remember or know. But it, it sounds logical, doesn't it, that this same mm. bloke may have got carried away with his format and offered his... Um, I mean, because the Saga tour was different in the sense that it was a double headliner. Right. And we we went on first and second in on alternative nights. Okay, I like that. Which was quite cool of them to to swallow it and quite cool of us to agree to it as well. So some nights we'd go on before them, feet up, happy days, and some other nights... Um, They'd go on before us, which meant you couldn't put your feet up, but it looked a bit better on the billing. So either way, it was a win-win. Mm. Um, and that seemed to go well. They were a really nice bunch of guys. Um, did they have a bit of a they had a bit of trouble? I think their keyboard player, he had a detached retina or something. Ooh, and, ooh. And not had, you can't do much with that if you, you slide down. No, that was it. Um, so whether, oh, I'm getting confused now. That either happened halfway through and he had to go and lie down or it happened just before the tour and they had to have a, um, a DEP keyboard player in for the whole tour. I can't quite remember it in the depths of my foggy mind, but I, I do remember something went on with the keyboard player and, and I remember it being related to Berlin somehow. Or maybe they had a big row. Did they have a big row? Something colourful happened. Um, right. I don't know if the detached retina was, was a consequence of the big row. Bloody hell. That's fairly extreme. I don't think it was. I think that right. would have stuck in my mind. There'd have been, you know, people swinging fire extinguishers at each other. I don't think there was any of that malarkey, but but I do remember it being, you know, thoroughly pleasant and a nice bunch of blokes, especially the singer. He's very nice. And I bump into him every now and again in various parts of the world and he, he says hello. So we Now, I know that. nothing about Saga. Well, our, our lighting designer, Jens Newholm, Who's Danish? Actually, he's from uh, from Jutland or Uland, as they call it here in Denmark. Uh, Jens is a huge Saga fan and just bursts into paroxysms at the mere mention of their name. He starts marching about and singing. Um, so Jens is a big fan of Saga. I think Saga are Canadian, and they're a sort of a. I don't know. I think they're a bit proggy. Um, but um, I never really, if I'm honest, I, I it didn't really light all my lights. But then a lot of that stuff doesn't, you know. Um, I never really got into Rush or any of these sort of... Oh, they were Canadian as well, weren't they? I think they were. They were Canadian proggers and, and you know, and huge. Mm. But I just found it not quite up my street for whatever reason but then nothing is much up my street these days as you know apart from massive attack in the blue nile um which is you know in another part of the musical world really mm. and i can't see us getting offered um, 
a double headliner with Massive Attack or the Blue Nile. No. Uh, that's that's something that ain't happening. No. Although, were it to, I'd be delighted. I think a lot of keyboard players from a lot of support bands would have to have a lot of detached retinas, retinas, retinas before that happened. <laughs> they would. Um, before, but either of those two came about. They'd have to be littering the streets, the detached retinas. You'd yes. be ankle deep in them. <laughs> ankle deep in retinas? <laughs> Loads of keyboard players bumping into things. <laughs> I shouldn't say loads of keyboard players bumping into things, should I really? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, ours is per- got- perfectly capable. <laughs> Even with twenty twenty vision, he's <laughs> capable. He still can't see a cement mixer. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's fair. I yeah, no, Saga passed me by. Mm. I Rush kinda passed me by, though I, I was taken to see Rush Live and I have to say they they were very impressive as a three piece, mm. remarkably impressive live. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a big old sound, and they can all definitely play. Well, quite um, often these bands are, you know, really impressive, and but that doesn't necessarily move you, does it? But no. it's possible to be impressive and have huge followings. It really is. Mm. I never really got Steely Dan, and I'm sure they were very impressive. But Steely Dan just never did it for me. Oh, did it not? No, I did get Steely Dan. Right. Yeah, I, I liked them because they wrote interesting words, you know. Mm, yeah. No, never did it. I just thought it was a bit, I don't know, a bit kind of, I, I kind of almost want to say background music. That sounds really awful because they really were good musicians. Oh, they were phenomenal musicians. They were A1 and they tended to bring in even better ones uh, yeah. uh, for the sessions. So Walter Becker and Donald Fagan were both pretty pretty heavy duty, uh, like music college types, you know, mm. um, tutored chaps. Tutored uh, chaps. With, with, Well-read in yeah, a musical sense. Yeah, with left-field jazz tastes, you know, mm. listening to a lot of left-field jazz stuff. And then bringing in for the albums, bringing in, you know, Top of the Pops session players, Bernard Purdy. Drive west on sunset to the sea. Um, That's very good. (laughs) I've been working on my Donald Fagan impression in anticipation of you mentioning him one day. How many episodes do you think we'd have to do before you got there? (laughs) In anticipation, <laughs> I had it ready. <laughs> I always put that on when I go to LA. It's the first thing I do. I come out of the airport and I put Babylon Sisters on and sit in right. the back of taxis. I just go, oh, yeah. Because for me, that's the sound of Los Angeles. Hmm. And I feel like I'm there if I've got Babylon Sisters shaking. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I got into, I did get on into. Um, I mean the the guitar solo on Kid Charlemagne, which was done by Larry Carlton. I don't think there's a better guitar solo that exists, and mm. I include the late great Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix and a lot of them. As a solo, it's shocking. 
And what's in, what's particularly interesting for the nerds out there that probably all know this already, if they are a nerd, and if they're not a nerd, won't give a damn. Um, but the guitar solo in Kid Charlemagne has is like they've written an entire piece of music just for the solo. So the the chords on under it are not the chords from the song. So it's a it's a journey of itself, but it's an incredible solo, um, and I think it stands out as the best guitar solo I've ever I've ever heard. And he was a serious player as well, and and through from that kind of well-read musician. Yeah, I think he sort of was group as well. The, wasn't he? he was with the Crusaders, I think, and then he, you know, and then Lord, he played he played on Court and Spark with Joni Mitchell, and various various heavy duty cats. Hmm. So back to Saga then. So mm. Saga, oh yes, sorry, it, I, I it, did, it didn't really land for you. Um, Not musically, say, but lovely people, you but know. Lovely people, and and it was. It, I could see it made a certain amount of sense us playing together. That that you know we would there would be a fair amount of crossover with the punters, and that they they may well have something to gain from being in front of our fans, and we had something to gain from being in front of theirs. So it made a lot of sense. Mm. And were they kind of? I don't know. I want to say. I kind of want to say. Were they a bit prog light? Yeah, a bit more. Uh, a bit. Progs, but, but but more straight ahead, bit right. more bit more Teutonic, ah. um, you know, a bit more. Boom, ka, dum, ka, dum, ka, dum, dum, ka, dum, Andy for German boom, talk, you, exactly, right right up the German Strasse, mm. the Deutsche Strasse, should I say? Yes, the completeness. And how did the whole so the whole mixed headlining thing then? Did that alter the makeup of the audience on those nights? Was it more of a Merlion crowd when your name was bigger and was it less of a Merlion crowd when your name was smaller or did it not work out like that? I think I'm going to have to Clean I'm going to have to get out my my I don't my come out only ride them card at this point right. Anthony because right. I I'd just go on stage and do my thing. I wasn't quite sure of you know, I wasn't. I, I, I did. I wasn't party to the uh, the stats, man. Right. Okay. I, did, I think didn't know if you get a vibe from the feedback from the crowd. I never noticed. I just took it as it rolled out. I mean, the the, the hall seemed to be full every night when you yeah. went on. If you went on first, so I think the I think the people had kind of got the vibe that they should get there at half seven and not nine o'clock because. I don't. I don't know if, I don't know if each night was billed according to who was going to go on last. Right. I think or it, whether was it was just, just a joint thing. Yeah, it was just a Marillion saga. Get here earlier, you'll miss one of yes. them. Yes. So oh, you miss one of them, and it, and it might be the one that you actually want to see more than the other one. Yeah. You know, if you've expressed a preference. I I think that was it, but as you know, I just. You just ride them. I kind of do, really. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got that. I got that from your face. I take the riding very seriously and and don't like to be put off it by the mucking out, if you know no. what I mean. It's not that I think the mucking out is in any way beneath me. It's just that I take the riding so seriously I don't want to do anything else. No, that's fine. I get that. I get that. 
Uh, and after 150 of those, I know exactly what you're saying, um, really. Do you but, believe me after 150? Um, well, it's largely material whether I do or whether I don't. Yes. Um, that yeah. means you don't. <laughs> you can read into that whatever you like. Um, you, you mentioned in the diary, and I know we've not had it yet, but you mentioned yeah. in the diary, one of the things you're doing is you're changing the set list. Oh, are we? And you, you, you're adding some bangers in or what you consider to be a bit more rock and roll. Right. Um, because you, your middle section was, was, was drifting a little bit. And if I can find it, I'll quickly remind you. But you were talking about putting Uninvited Guest and Slange in because your middle was somewhere else, fantastic place, uh, Asylum Satellite number one. Yeah. Which you thought was perhaps a bit of a lull. Yeah. No, I think I, I, I can, looking back, I can see that probably more clearly than I would have done at the time because mm. Asylum Satellite 1 was probably still fairly new and we were probably mm. still in the first the first flush of, of, of being in love with it um, and unable to step back and compare. I think, I, I think looking at it from, from the vantage point of 2023, uh, I probably wouldn't have done those three in the middle of a sh- show like that. Oh, hang on a bit. Hang on, this piano's just gone off again. No, it's lovely when that cuts in. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the bit I never know, you know, with that is until get the final mix through, I never know if it's just me and you hearing it or if everybody's hearing it. And last week, everybody heard it, which I thought was lovely. I put it in specially. Uh, Did you? To, to try and make sense of... <laughs> Of the conversation, I'll put it in again this week. Oh, it's really, it's really. Do you want to? Do you want to take a note of the note of the time while we're here, just so we, just so we know? No, because it's there. I mean, I, I, it's there in me. It's already there in my project. That's why. Of course it, it is. Of course it is. Because that's why it's gone off. Place, yeah. yeah. So you just need to unmute for that, that oh. glorious thirty seconds, don't you? That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. It was lovely when I heard it last week. Really, really nice. But it was just there. Really, really, really good. Shall we go and have this bit of diary then? Well, yes, let's. Let's uh, not because talk it's, about it. It's the last it. bit of diary for the year. Is it's it? actually the end of 2011. This takes us to the end of 2011. Oh, it was a short year then in terms of... It was a short year. What, what so I we get a bit, of, a bit of Germany and then we finish off in Amsterdam. I've got a few questions about Amsterdam, which we can talk about when we come back. Well, everybody has, but yes. Mm, everybody has. <laughs> <laughs> And a fair few they can't answer, as a rule. Uh, anyway. I'll say out loud. <laughs> Here it comes. Thursday, 10th of November. Munich Circus Krone. Touring with Saga. Climbed onto the bus around 2pm for the journey to Munich. Had a couple of beers and decided to go to bed and relax. During the show there were repeated boosts of low-end feedback which Phil didn't seem able to eradicate. This is a much more serious problem than monitor trouble as it affects the show for the crowd and I could feel us losing them in addition to the inevitable effect on the spirit of the band. We rallied with Neverland, but I think we all felt we'd let this show slip. After the show in Würzburg, we had a bit of a meeting and decided that perhaps we need to dumb the set down a bit. Too much art, not enough rock and roll. 
What we always do at a time like this is put slange back in the set. There was also much talk of the uninvited guest. These are not favourites of mine, but I can see that they would do a job dynamically. There's a lull in the middle of the set with the onset of somewhere else, fantastic place and Asylum Satellite One, where we seem to be losing the saga half of the crowd. We decided that for Munster, at least, we'd try the straighter stuff and return to the more adventurous songs when we're back in our heartland cities of Cologne and Hamburg. Stayed in the dressing room for a long time after the show, talking to Ian and Frenchie. It's rare that we socialise, so it was quite a treat to just hang out, goof around and reminisce. By chucking out time, we were still there, so we wandered down to the bus signing autographs for a couple of chaps who'd been waiting ages in the cold. Not us, bless them. Didn't stay up very long after that. Saturday, 13th of November, Munster. Recognised the lake at Munster, so I must have been here before after all. Hung about all morning on the bus, waiting for the hotel rooms to become free, and eventually checked into room 252 at the Stadt Hotel. Very white and comfortable. Had a much-needed shower and headed over the road for a spot of late breakfast. Strammer Max, ham, eggs and cheese on toast, originally recommended to me in 1989 by Mosley and thoroughly recommended to you. At Rick's Cafe over the road. Full of students, this seems to be a college town and there are college kids everywhere, most of whom seem fairly wealthy, sporting MacBooks and not skimping on the drinks orders. Germany is one of those few countries in the world, along with Norway and China, which isn't currently in recession. Having said that, it looks like the rest of Europe is currently relying on the fatherland to bail it out. Let's hope the German people stay chilled about that prospect, although I don't think us Brits would be too charitable if it were the other way round. Imagine the headlines. But I digress. Had breakfast and a half in Rick's and texted Niall in case he wanted to join me, but I think he was sleeping off the after-effects of a night partying on the bus. Returned to the room and wrote a bit of diary and did a bit of tinkering with the H. Barbieri project until around 8pm when I took a taxi to Enchilada, a Mexican restaurant where Phil, Rich and Ian M were already being served. I realised during the cab ride what a beautiful town this is. Many churches and antique buildings lovingly preserved and fronted by well-kept, interesting shops. Reminded me a little of Utrecht in Holland. Apparently we're quite close to the Dutch border here, and you can sense that from the architecture. Had a chicken tortilla thing, which was okay, and drank flaming B-52s through a straw, like you do. Again, the place was full of students. They definitely have a bit more disposable dosh than our students back in England. Walked back past a high-end hi-fi shop full of speakers that looked like green tubers and cost €50,000. Met up with Niall and the crew in Rick's cafe for a nightcap and returned to bed. Thursday, 18th of November. Stuttgart Hegelsaal. Arrived at the Schlossgarten Hotel and was given a key to room 311. Still haggling with Mr Evans, our possible buyer, and communicating with Sue to try and arrive at a selling price for Brisbane House, 
our marital home until December 2005 when I moved out. Since then, Sue's lived there with Sophie and Niall. So spent some time writing an email to the estate agent. Ordered my first club sandwich of the tour and reeled at the €24 internet connection fee. Skyped Lynetta and said hello to Little Vibes. Skype wasn't really working. The internet connection may have been ludicrously expensive, but at least it was crap. Apart from that, though, the hotel was very nice. I had the foresight to bring my pillow from the bus. This can make you look a bit like a dosser when you're checking in, but is worth it when you get upstairs and encounter those lovely-looking fluffy German and Dutch pillows which actually collapse, fold round your head and meet over your face when you lie on them. Then you're awake all night, folding them and fiddling with the bloody things. Showered up in the very nice bathroom. A rose in a little vase really does make all the difference to limp-wristed, artsy-fartsy singer types and eventually made it out of the door around 5pm for a walk round town. The hotel's situated right round the corner from Stuttgart's main pedestrianised town centre. No pound shops round here. This is the home of Mercedes and Porsche, and the people sure ain't broke. The girls seem prettier, and the guys a little more self-assured. The shops are well presented, and everything looks clean, tidy, and, uh, German. I was making my way to the small pre-Christmas market set up in the main square. The wonderful and proper Christmas market we visited last year when we were here with Deep Purple is regrettably not yet set up. November the 21st, I checked. But there are still a few stalls selling blue wine and Niall and the crew were already there. Niall was waiting for me on the corner, clutching two glass mugs of blue wine, one of which he handed to me. We drank the hot spiced wine and watched the wealthy world go by. There was an Arabic band busking in the square, which all added to my inner dreams of the nativity. They could have done with a camel. On the corner of this lovely square, one of the strangenesses of Stuttgart is a shop on the main street, right among the ritzy department stores and clothes shops. It sells knives and guns. What first caught my eye was a cabinet in the window full of Swiss Army penknives in various colours. I was reminded of the one I used to have, a gift from EMI Switzerland, which sat forgotten in the bottom of my toilet bag for years until being confiscated at Heathrow Airport. As I looked in the window among the passing high street shoppers, my eye was drawn to the high-quality kitchen knives and then along to larger hunting knives and then to a kind of dagger which could really have no purpose except for stabbing other people. It was then that I saw the guns, an impressive collection of smooth brushed steel handguns and above them two beautifully engineered slick black machine guns. Holy shit, this would have been shocking down a back street round the corner from Hamburg's Raperbahn, but here in the main square of Ritzy Stuttgart. Last of all, my eye caught the telescopic sight and silencer of what could only really be an assassin's rifle. Yours for 400 euros. Mad world. I suppose wealth and firearms tend to be more common bedfellows than one might imagine. Perhaps Harrods should open a mortar and grenade department. Monday, 28th of November. 
Amsterdam Paradiso. Arrived around midday at the American Hotel. Room's not ready, so went to the bar to discover I'm still on the wall amongst rock and rolls great and good. Club sandwich and cappuccinos. Richard B. arrived and joined us. Eventually checked in and agreed to meet up later to go and have a wander round town with Luigi. That's Luigi Colosanti Antonelli, photographer genius and beautiful soul. He'd flown in from Rome. Richard had flown in from London. Luigi had come to take some photographs of us. Eventually, bad light drove us back to the hotel and we agreed to meet up later to go to dinner. Was dog tired, so snoozed for a bit and never really recovered. We went to the hard rock. Luigi can't eat spicy food or we'd have gone Indonesian. It wasn't exactly a rip-roaring boys' night out. Rich was knackered, I was knackered, and Luigi is in constant back pain from displaced discs. It was a huge relief to get back to my room and relax. I put much of the day two on. Luxury. However, someone began moving furniture about beneath my room by dragging it across the floor. This carried on until 11.15 when I went to reception and marched most of the reception staff into my room so they could have a listen. Turns out that they're trimming up the big room below me for Christmas. I suggested they knock it on the head being as it was approaching midnight and all went quiet until 6.45 in the morning when it started up again. I found reception and growled, and that seemed to put a stop to it. After that, I couldn't really get back to sleep, though. Drifted in and out of consciousness till around 11am, and then went downstairs to speak to the manager about it. Worked out quite well as he bought me a cappuccino and cancelled my room extras. Fair enough. Met up with Richard, Luigi, and his assistant, Frederica, and we wandered some more around Amsterdam. Luigi doesn't do photo sessions, he prefers to just take photographs, so he doesn't want anything posed. We walked around and found a beautiful street full of antique shops and collectors' emporia. Meanwhile, Luigi photographed whatever we were doing, chatting, browsing, drinking coffee, etc. This carried on till around two when we went to the Café Luxembourg for a spot of lunch, then back to the Paradiso for soundcheck. After soundcheck, I climbed back on the bus and hit the shelf. I was still tired after last night's furniture-moving episode and slept fairly well. Showtime saw me struggling to wake up. Hit the stage to a packed, solid paradiso, and although we were constantly barraged by technical problems, mostly radio-related, we finished the show to the most rapturous response I can remember here in Amsterdam or anywhere else. A career high as far as I'm concerned. Everyone was applauding and up on their feet all the way up to the packed top balconies. The crowd couldn't have reacted any more enthusiastically without actually jumping from the balconies. Amazing. After the show, I sat with astronaut Andre Kuyper's family. His wife, Helen, and two daughters, Megan and Robin, had come to the show. Andre is to blast off from Russia on a Soyuz rocket to live for six months on the International Space Station and is currently preparing for the mission in Kazakhstan. Apparently, Andre has requested our music to be uploaded to the ISS already. I really hope they all sing Asylum Satellite One together.
And we're back. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? No. Well, yeah, no. No, well, no. I, I, do you know, I, I, to describe the scene for everybody, there's a few things I need to ask you about here, actually. So you've got, you've got one of those kind of clothes rails behind you, <laughs> haven't you? With five, it looks like five coat hangers, nothing on them. That's right. And then one of those clear umbrellas. Yes. Um, and then something yellow hanging down from the ceiling. Oh, yeah. It's sort of vaguely Magritte-ish, isn't it, that? Mm. When you, now you've pointed it out and I'm looking at it in the mirror. It does look like an artwork. Um, it does. But it isn't. It's just five coat hangers on a row. It's a, you know, it's kind of something Yoko Ono might have done and called it art. Um... But, or uh, just called it five coat hangers on a rail. Yes, yes. You know, which which <laughs> does make a lot of sense. Or an absence of clothes. Oh, I like an absence of clothes. <laughs> moving out. <laughs> oh, moving out. <gasps> That's a good title for five coat hangers on a rail. Yeah, moving Probably. out. Relationships end. Oh. Oh, it's getting deep. This, yeah, no, I'm, I can. There's an Instagram post coming on now, isn't there? I'll, I, I think, I, I think I will, there is. I will frame that accordingly and upload yeah, frame, it. Frame, frame it accordingly. You could do that thing with your head as well, where if you bend down, you could do it with the top of your head and then five coat hangers behind it. <laughs> you know, your your Instagram, your motif, your signature Insta. <laughs> That's because I've gone off the rest of my face. That's what right. it is. Right. I'm a lot Any- happier if, you know, there's just my good You're side. Forward. My good side is just just the top of my head right. these days. Yeah. Right. When you know you've had your roots done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'll just go down. So. Yeah. Right. Anyway, the Stop thing dangling down, the sort of mustard-coloured thing that looks like a magic wand or something, is in fact one of those woven plant hangers. You know, you could ah, open, right. open it up and stick a plant pot in it. So that's something Lynetta appeared with and hung up. Well, I hung it up because I, I get the job of hanging things up. And there it is. But she's never got around to putting a plant in it, probably because we're hardly ever here and it would die off. Right. So come the summer, it may well have some kind of, dangly fern fastened to it. And I used to go to school with her, dangly fern. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I knew a girl called Pea Brain. Do I always say this whenever it... I think no. I probably do. There was a girl in our <laughs> class called Pamela Brain, and so her she was Pea Brain. Right. Which uh, her mum and dad hadn't thought, thought that no. through, really, had they? No. I went, I went to school with somebody called Annette Curtin. You didn't. No, Did I you honestly? Right. No, it would have been amazing. Orson Carty. Somebody, my mum said there was a, she knew somebody called Mr. and Mrs. Carty who called their son Orson. Which, again, was. <coughs> anyway. In all seriousness, when I, back in the day, there's a company called SCV who are a music instrument distributor. They, they used to do Genelec back in the day. Oh. And they had a, a guy called Richard Saul work for them and they gave him the email address of rsaul at scvlondon.co.uk which I always thought was genius 
I bet he thanked him for that. He really did thank him for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he was a lovely fella, Richard, but it, but everywhere he went, he was just our soul. It was always our soul from SCV. So we've had the diary, and yeah, I'm not going to focus on the Germany bit, and we've talked about Saga, and that's all fine. And I'm not actually going to go to the shop in Stuttgart with all the, 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 the rifle bits and all the extras. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that. We've been there before, haven't we? We've been there before. Yeah, the shotgun go- went in. Stop. I'm going to go to two things, one statement and then one about Richard B. Oh, yeah. So the statement is, you say something in the diary. In fact, I'll see if I can find the exact words. But you're in the back and at the end of the, end of the show and you're chatting to um, Ian and Frenchie. Oh, yeah. And you say, it's really nice. You actually chewed the fat for a while because actually you don't get to spend much time just hanging out. Well, we don't really, strangely. And, I, and and that was the bit I was going to say. Yeah. No, it's a good point. But these days, because we do the tours on a bus um, and because Mosley's a vampire for a kickoff, he's um, always in bed when I'm up hmm. and usually up when I'm in bed. So I don't get much time to just, you know, sit and muse about life, the universe, and everything with him. Frenchie is nearly always busy. Um, he's not the most talkative first thing in the morning no. either. He's usually, you know, he ought to be in hospital really first thing in the morning. Um, so it takes him a while to sort of get going. And then as soon as he's got going, people, you know, the emails are going off and the texts and people are giving him things to sort out. So it is quite unusual for us to just sit and casually chat about, you know, not about work, just about, we were probably just talking bollocks for an hour, but relaxing. And Mm. that is, although you'd think that would be something that would be part of a constant process, it, it isn't really. Well, and I guess the reason why it landed, and I've just looked, and the, the phrase you used, it's, it's rare that we socialise, was the phrase that you actually used. Yeah. Um, but I remember, funnily enough, being with you at Stuttgart backstage, and all the band were there, and we chatted for about half an hour, 45 minutes. We ended up chatting about Brexit as it goes. But it was the first time ever I can remember all five of you being there and actually just decompressing. Right. Together. Because every other time I've been backstage, somebody's always... You, you, the five of you are never together. No, it's 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 not very common, to be honest, that all five... I mean, Pete's got ants in his pants anyway, and he, he never... Yeah. He's never in one place for long at any time of day. I think he, he thinks that if he's... Well, I don't know what he thinks, but he, he acts as though if he stays in one place too long... You know, the assassin will have him. Um, he's sort of got a touch of the old. He's always got one eye out for the assassin's gun, um, but he, for whatever reason. Yeah, it sort of acts that way. And he, he he's um, he just wants to be somewhere else all the time. Mark's a bit like that as well. Mark's, Mark's always, well, let's not waste any time. Let's be going, let's be going, let's be going. You go, well, well where are we going? You know, because once we get there, you'll be in a hurry to leave there. Hmm. Um, but I think that's that can be part of your psychological makeup. That that desire to be, let's go, let's go, let's go. Why are we wasting time? Well, where are we going? It's not like we're going to get on a train or a plane. 
Um, so th there's a bit of that. Um, it's quite unusual for all five of us to just relax in a room and, you know, and someone n n not have a good reason to run off. I mean, also, you know, somebody's maybe got their wife wife on the road yeah. and, you know, oh, I'd better go and check Fiona's all right or whatever. Um, but it's true. It's true. We don't often just sit and shoot the breeze and relax. It probably happens once or twice on any tour. Mm. Well, I, does that, that's only the one time I've ever known it happen when I've been around i mean and i guess in most times there's always an after show of some description or some people have been invited back or you know it just happened to be that night and she took out there wasn't anything there was nothing organized yeah i occasionally you know? don't go to the after shows not because i've got anything against them but just because i get sat down and i just seem to get planted mm. and i don't know i just can't work up the the physical or the mental energy to stand up sort myself out and you know, go and enter the fray. Sometimes I'll just sit and just be planted in wherever I've sat down after I've come off stage. And Frenchy always wants my stage clothes because he's got to get them into a case and onto the truck. And so he's always hustling me, you know, I want your stage clothes, I want your stage clothes. And I'm usually sat there, you know, working up the effort to remove them or to go and get in the shower or whatever. Um... So I tend to, you know, get planted a bit sometimes. I remember that night, the only thing I remember, apart from the fact I do think we talked about Brexit, was that at one point you got up with, you know, you know, you sprung out of your chair, you sprung out of your chair, and I thought, ooh. And, and you went as far as your toiletry bag, you got your electric toothbrush out, and then proceeded to continue talking with your electric toothbrush in. And I, and I still to this day don't quite know why you did that. Why in that moment you felt you had to do it. But it seemed to be once it, you know, once you were consumed by the need. Right. You had to put your, you had to put your electric toothbrush in. I, ca I can't explain that, Anthony. <laughs> I can't. No, no, but it was, it was beautiful non nonetheless. <laughs> The other thing is, obviously, in the diary readings, you meet up with... When we get to Amsterdam, you meet up with Richard B. Richard B flies out, right. and your photographer friend. Oh, yes. That's because we were... Uh, it was either for Not the Weapon or for Arclight, but... Um, I think it was Not the Weapon. Right, and we need... That's right, and we needed some photographs. Um, and Luigi from Italy said he, he could get to Amsterdam and take some shots for us if we needed them. So so Richard flew out so we could do some shots in Amsterdam. I don't know if we ever used them. I think we might have used one of us both sitting in a calf. Um, but we wandered around Amsterdam with Luigi for, for an hour. Um, that must have been the parody, so then, mustn't it? That yes. must have been the gig we did after it. And we did have a wander round. Yeah, well, I found one of those photos of the two of you on a on a bridge or something. It's clearly Amsterdam, mm. both in your black kind of um, double-breasted coats, mm. looking 
I don't know what you were trying to look serious, I think. There was definitely an air of seriousness going on. You got your shades on with your winter coat. Suzanne Richards' uh, wife used to call me the boyfriend. Oh, you're going out to meet your boyfriend, are you? She used to say. (laughs) You do have a power couple look about you. (laughs) There's absolutely no doubt. You know, that rock and roll royalty power couple look thing going on. Well, we can dream. We can dream. Mm. Or you could have been like the Arrhythmics. You've also got a bit of that going on as well. Yes. Yes. We, 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 yeah. That's, I'll have that. That's lovely. Yeah, I thought you'd take that. Yeah. But I can't find the pictures anywhere else because they weren't, they weren't used in the album. I dug the album off the shelf and the album's not got, there isn't a still in there. No, I don't think we used them in the end. Or maybe we used them, you know, for the media when we launched the Mm. project. But we didn't put them in the package. Um, no, we, we Luigi did some conceptual stuff in the studio, and and that became he sent us tons of stuff. Um, we just gave him the title, not the weapon with the hand, and he sent us loads of things that were all really arty and surreal and interesting. And in the end, we I loved the one that we went with because it looks like two things at once. It's actually just an ordinary fork something you know from a piece it's a piece of cutlery something you do mm, your dinner I can see with. that now but if but if you look at it another way it looks like the the four knuckles of a clenched mm. hand with some kind of barbed steel thing sticking out of them yep um and i thought wow that's an amazing image because depending on <clears throat> who looks at it they're going to see they're, you know, given the title, not the weapon, but the hand, they're mm-hmm. probably going to see a hand, and it's not. It's just the tines of a fork, but it's it's a very powerful image. We went with that. No, I agree. I, I, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said knuckle duster. Yeah. That's what I would have said. I would have said that's exactly what it looks like. Well, that's why uh, Luigi's a genius, because he can, he can pull things like that out of the air with a camera. Amazing. Mm. No, it's an incredible... And is that the fork on the back then? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember what's on the back. Right, because it looks like it's, it looks like the, the tines of a fork on the back as well. Yeah, it probably is then. Yeah. He sent quite a few images through of, of steel and metal, like tools and wrenches and things that that had been captured at really peculiar angles, so you couldn't quite tell what they were until you'd lived with them for a while. Is there... Was there any outtakes of that session with Richard, you know, just giggling uncontrollably, <laughs> as he does in between serious takes? <laughs> no, I, he's not. He's not a big giggler, Richard. He gets a bit um, mischievous. Is he post? Is he post giggle? He get, he's definitely post giggle. He, he gets. Right. He, he can get mischievous when he's got a bit of rum and coke in him. Right, but. Um, Unless you you pump him full of rum, you're not gonna you know he's, he's not he's not known for giggling. Put it that way. No, I yeah. thought he, he maybe would suppress. Oh, there's there's three pictures there with me smiling. I need to suppress those very quickly. No, when I first worked with Richard, I used to periodically slide over to him and go, "Are you all right? Is everything okay?" And he go, uh, "Yes, why?" I go, "Oh, nothing, nothing." 
But he always seemed so displeased about everything that uh, working with him in the studio, I felt the need to keep going and checking. He, he wasn't... <laughs> he was, he, had to storm he, off. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't harboring some colossal anger. Because <laughs> that, that's, that's his aura, you know. Hmm. You, uh, and it's... It's just how he is when he when he's feeling pretty good about everything. <laughs> I, I was I did I did a search. So, so obviously I, I searched to see if I could find one of those photos, and then as you know, you get so far down a Google search, and then it, it ceases to be. So I searched for you and him, mm. and then obviously it starts throwing up returns that are just him or just you, mm. and you keep on going. And you go through and you go through and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you, scroll and you go this. This guy's never smiled in his life. No, I thought I, what, what I was going to say is as you scroll, he probably gets more and more serious and I probably yes. get more and more daft. Yeah, you know, exactly as you that. work your way down, you know, there's just more and more pictures of me in hysterics yeah. and more pictures of him looking like a murderer. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, e- exactly that. You and Basil Brush and then, you know. <laughs> we are the odd couple. Not me and Basil Brush, me and Richard. Me and Richard. I think we should we should call it a day there. It's a nice, it seems a nice place to stop actually. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, uh, nice. you know we've uh, you've done done quite nicely there. Um, when are you back then? Are you are you? Is it just a? Are you there for a couple of weeks? There for a week? Is it a? Well, it's 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 um, what we're doing is we're staying here till Harlem, and um, then we drove here, and when we drive back with. with vibes and the dog and when we drive back she's going to get me to the south of holland and deposit me and i'm going to find my way to a station and get on a train to harlem and uh, meet up with the beat combo that's the plan so i'm not actually going home before harlem i'm going home after harlem and lynetta's going to carry on home because vibes has got exams the following week um so she wants him home by the end of the week. She doesn't want, you know, we we could have all gone to Harlem and could have hung out for the shows, but that would have meant he was getting home at Sunday night when he's got exams from Monday morning, mm. and that's not really cool. So, she, so she's going to drop me off. She's going to deposit me in Holland. What could possibly go wrong? And I'm going to fend for myself for a bit. Right. Well, I'm 66. I ought to be able to do that, Anthony. You absolutely ought to be able to do that, Stephen. (laughs) I'm not saying anything else. (laughs) I'm sure the police will get involved at some point, but it'll it'll all work out. Okay, okay. I'm very pleased, you know, that at no point, as far as I'm aware, am I down in one of your lists of emergency contacts. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Frenchie tends to mop all that up. Yes. Bless his heart. Um, He's a fixer, isn't he? He's a oh, fixer, Frenchie. He has to be. But yeah. t- but but what this means is that um, the next two podcasts, at least, will will be brought to you from from Denmark as well as Heckmanwijk. Right. Well, let's see if there's any clothing appears on any of those. Those clothes hangers, then. Oh, okay. Between now and then. If you're going to throw that gauntlet down, I'll... Oh, I'll I'm f- throwing it down. <laughs> I'm 
I'm thrusting it well, in. I'm thrashing it out. Well, I've, I've, we haven't got a negligee we could hang on them. <laughs> a negligee would be good, wouldn't it? Or do you remember baby dolls? They were the thing in the 70s. Do you remember them? I, I do, but I didn't get there as fast as you did. <laughs> you weren't far behind me, though, really. But no, I wasn't that far. You were, you, were in, you were in view, don't get me wrong. I was seeing your taillights, but I didn't get there as quick. <laughs> anyway, we haven't got any of that. But I, no. I, I haven't even got a pair of old wire fronts I could dangle on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find something. I'll leave it with you. You've got a whole week. <laughs> yes, wetsuit. It'd be quite yeah. apt. We haven't got one of them either. I'll have a look, see if I can find right. anything interesting. You're going to have to... Do the, do the Danes have charity shops? <sighs> I, don't think, I don't think anybody's poor enough to need one in Denmark. That's a shame, because that's a good trove of random stuff normally, isn't it? Yeah, you can. I'm sure they have the odd shop where you can get used Porsche seat covers, but that's probably about it. Right. You know, bits of old banging olives and gear. <laughs> right. So next week, it's either a baby doll outfit, a pair of your old wife fronts, or a Porsche seat cover. <laughs> I'll go and see what I can find on the on the bad streets. You can have streets, a rummage. Man. You can have a rummage. The bad streets of. I nearly said where I was then. I probably already <laughs> have said that. Anyway, it's a long walk, isn't it? To yeah. Shelland. I'm being nice and general. <sighs> right, I'll it's, see you next week. This address is going to be appearing on that Monopoly board any minute. <laughs> I know it. Somebody <laughs> sent a message in to say that we can't end episodes. <laughs> That's rubbish. <laughs> that we just seem to t- we take ten minutes to wind down. What an outrageous thing to say! <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Sometimes I wind down on my own. You know, you'd you gone last week, hadn't you? I had gone. It was ten minutes before I noticed. You finished yourself off, didn't you? <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.